Welcome to this month's Brain Matters. I'm Elizabeth Tracy. And I'm John Weingart, Professor of Neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins Hospital. John, we've got a really interesting and kind of a basic science thing we're going to talk about this month. Help me out. We're talking about an article that deals with the blood-brain barrier, a layer between the bloodstream and the brain. It protects the brain from toxic substances getting through. The problem for disease problems is that it also keeps medicines from getting into the brain. And over time, there have been a number of efforts to disrupt that layer, to try to get substances in. The approach we're talking about today is disrupting the blood-brain barrier. The ultrasound technology, which we're talking about today, uses sound waves to disrupt that barrier. And that technology has been investigated for 10 or 15 years. In this particular study, in addition to the focused low-intensity ultrasound waves, they use microbubbles in the circulation. Those microbubbles, when the sound waves hit them, start to vibrate, which then adds to the disruption of the blood-brain barrier. And so this particular study looked at a approach in people where they placed the little ultrasound transducer into the skull, and then they were able to deliver the ultrasound waves without opening the skin. The skull in a human is too thick to deliver the ultrasound just through the skin. So you do have to implant a transducer into the skull in some way to deliver the ultrasound waves. The trial measured disruption of the blood-brain barrier with MRI scan and with the contrast agent that they give with MRI scans to see how much more of that contrast agent leaked into the area. They did follow that up with delivering uh, a chemotherapeutic drug, but there was no measurement of that drug in the brain. It appears that they were able to demonstrate that with this implantable device, they could safely deliver the ultrasound waves and disrupt the blood-brain barrier over a small area. For the kinds of tumors that the approach is targeted at, their volume is much larger. So in terms of it really being beneficial, one would have to expand out the, the size of the transducer. Maybe multiple transducers are placed. One could even hypothesize that one could put a skull implant in that had the different transducers built into the implant. One interesting thing was that they were able to access the device with just a needle. So from a technological point of view, very clever that they could implant this ultrasound transducer and sort of turn it on with just a needle through the skin. And are you persuaded by, first of all, the practical aspects of disrupting the blood-brain barrier? In your mind, would that be advantageous? Absolutely, because it would open up a much larger number of drugs that could be delivered to the brain. It's really a drug delivery issue. If you have that silver bullet and you need a way to get it there, then maybe this is the best way to deliver it. Because of that blood-brain barrier, drug delivery approaches, one needs to spend as much attention on the drug delivery approaches as you do on selecting the appropriate drug for the treatment. With regard to this one then, I hear you saying that you really think it was clever to develop a transducer that was needle accessible after it was implanted. How long do those things stay in place? And how troubling is it to actually implant them? Looking at the report, the implantation is a simple thing. In terms of the longevity of them, uh, they used them repeatedly, I believe for three to four months. Sounds like it used to be used in conjunction then with other imaging so that the exact placement of the transducer would be possible. Exactly. And at the end of the day, having some way to access how much drug is being delivered is critical. Once you have proof of principle that yes, you can open the blood-brain barrier, the next step is to prove that yes, your drug is getting in there. 
two final questions. One is, these things are implanted in the skull, so they're actually housed within the bony area, and that's where they stay for the whole time. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And I just wonder about infection risk. Well, there's always going to be an infection risk with any time you put something foreign into the body, but so many things are implanted these days. Defibrillators for the heart, stimulators for pain in the spinal cord, infusion pumps for pain medicine and different things, implants for defects, prostheses for joints. So there is a risk to putting those things in, but it's a low risk. It's really not a barrier to doing this type of work. Previous research, even that done right here in this department with biodegradable wafers implanted in the area of a tumor. We know something about the efficacy of getting things beyond the blood-brain barrier. So if you were gonna be a betting guy, what would you say about the likelihood that this kind of technology or something similar would turn out to be practical with regard to that and even have the impact that we would like it to? The high-grade glioma, which is what this treatment is targeted at, is very resistant to a lot of different types of therapies in terms of curative therapies. There are no curative therapies for this problem. However, as a complement to other types of therapies, other delivery strategies, it could be very effective even for focused delivery of things. And it could even be expanded to other neurodegenerative problems. And with regard to those specific tumors though, how efficacious have therapies that have been delivered beyond the blood-brain barrier been? Wafers or biodegradable polymers that deliver BCNU chemotherapy are approved worldwide. They are effective at extending survival and increasing tumor control. Over the years, there have been a number of trials looking at convection-enhanced delivery to deliver larger molecules across the blood-brain barrier. In some patients, there were remarkable responses, responses that could never have been achieved by giving these compounds systemically, namely because not only do they not get across the blood-brain barrier, but they're toxic to other organs in the body. So one advantage of putting things beyond the blood-brain barrier, or even something that you could transiently open the blood-brain barrier and get it quickly into the brain without giving a high dose of the drug, may allow you to give compounds which are toxic to the rest of the body, but now you could give them at a safe level, still get a therapeutic level in the brain, and not have added systemic toxicity. Excellent. Anything else you'd like to add about this one? Not at all. That'll do it. All right. That's this month's Brain Matters. I'm Elizabeth Tracy. And I'm John Weingarten.